Don't you get just a little bit jealous when the kids get to leave? Anybody? You can admit it. You know, they're going and they're going to play games, and who knows? And maybe it, I knew it was going to be you two. You're like wanting to, to go back. You know, I, I figured today I'd help you out with that. Um, we're we're going to play a little game. Is, is that okay? It's, it's not blue tongue, all right? And you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, you can just shout out, your, shout out your answers. But I thought, you know, it is kind of... Uh, it makes us jealous when the kids get to go back, right? And they're, they're just so excited. And so, so we're going to play just a small game today. And I've done this with the youth group before. Um, and this will help you in your exercise to know that it's okay to respond during the service, too. Uh, I think the last time I preached, uh, I had to wake some of you guys up. So uh, th- this will keep you awake. All right? It's called the close-up game. Now, we're going to put a few pictures up there, one at a time. And it's going to be a picture that will be a close-up of something. And we're going to see if you guys can guess what it is. And just shout it out. There's no prizes, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm not like Mr. Webb and I'm candy, all right? But if you know the answer, just shout it out. Let's try our first one, Mark. Let's see if they can. And we may have to turn the lights off for this. I'm not sure. Basketball rim. You were, you were on that one. I was looking at him. He's like, he's like Tootsie Roll. Where's my Tootsie Roll? <laughs> Uh, Mr. Webb, I'll have to come back and give you, give you Tootsie Roll. That, that was good. I, I was quicker than I thought. Hopefully this next one won't be as quick. We'll see if you can get that one. Mark, Mark saw the answer, and he still didn't know what it was. This is for the older generation. These aren't around anymore. What do you say, Mr. Webb? <laughs> Anybody? Not a driving theater. You used to see these on the street. Telephone, yes, yes. Payphone, yeah. Mark said, do we even have those anymore? Most places, no, you, you, you don't have those. All right, this one I believe you guys are going to get quickly. Who said pencil? Ah, very nice. Have you seen? No, you haven't. This is a new game. You haven't seen this one. Yeah, ahead of a, ahead of a pencil. All right. Um, we're going to see who's really on top of things over here. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for this side. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I knew you were going to get it. <laughs> I knew it. I thought if Brian's here, it's over. It's done. He's going to get it. All right. This side of the room needs to come up big on this next one. Ladder. Yes, James. Well, where are you? Right, <laughs> you're, you, were, you, were throwing, you were throwing your voice, right? It's interesting when you look at things close up, right? Perspective is literally everything when you're looking at objects. When you look at it real close up, it's like, I'm not really sure what that is. But when you take a step back, it becomes clearer. You know, things are harder to recognize. And if you continue to take steps back, then things become clearer and you start to understand what it is, and you start to understand what it is used for uh, and recognize its purpose. We come to find out that perspective is everything, and perspective is the key to recognition. Today we're going to be looking at three simple verses. And up close they seem simple, but they also seem impossible. But with the right perspective, I believe we are going to be better able to recognize them and understand them. We're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5. We're getting to the end of this small book. 
Uh, I think this is like maybe our 12th uh, sermon in the, in the book. And so this week we're going to look at three short verses, and then next week we're going we're to finish it up. I'm not sure where I'm going after that, but we're going to finish 1 Thessalonians. And what we know in this book is it's the Apostle Paul writing to believers, and he has been encouraging them throughout the book that they are doing the right things, but continue to do it even more. So he encourages them, but he also challenges them. And so he's about to do it as he's closing the book. He's about to do it again. He's going to give something that's going to be encouraging, but also challenging at the same time. We just came from a passage where uh, Paul was encouraging them about the salvation that they have and to live in peace with one another. You'll probably remember that. This passage that we're going to come up to, these three verses... People have tried to put a creative name on it. They've called it the triplet for personal development. They've also called it the identifying characteristics that mark a Christian's life. You you can get as creative as you want, but what we come to find out is these three short little verses are very, very important. And even though they're well-known, seemingly elementary, I will tell you that Oftentimes, it's the most well-known and seemingly elementary passages that are the hardest to preach. I don't know why. I would much rather have some really hard theological problem we've got to dig through. Because you guys have heard these verses before. But we want to get a fresh perspective on it. And I find that it's not only hard to preach, but it's also hard to apply. And so he comes out with three quick things in this passage. And you're going to see it up on the screen beside me. He says, you need to rejoice. You need to pray. And you need to give thanks. Now, looking at those, they seem pretty elementary. We need to rejoice, pray, give thanks. Amen, let's go home, let's go eat, right? I mean, there's really nothing else to say about them. But if you look at it, those aren't the things that jump out to me because we we know those. We know we're supposed to rejoice. We know we're supposed to pray. We know we're supposed to give thanks. It's the other words in there. There are three things that leave no wiggle room at all. See, you and I, when we speak to each other, we like to be very non-committal about things. We, we, if, if we say we're going to do it, we, we say we're going to do it, but not necessarily when or, or, or when we're going to do it. It's the universality of these exhortations that really kind of grab our attention. Because, see, here's what happens. In these verses, we find that it covers all believers for all times, and they're not suggestions, they're commands. So it's not just what you need to do, but when you need to do it. I know when I'm at home and my wife asks me to do something, I will say, yes, I will take the trash out. And she'll stand there and look at me. I said, yes, I will take the trash out. I didn't say when I would take the trash out. And, of course, I know it's right then, and I'm going to get up and follow instructions, right? I mean, if you look at this, we need to rejoice, Always. I mean, we understand happiness. We all want to be happy, but all the time? Praying without stopping? Come on. Being thankful all the time? Always without ceasing everything? You know, we are, in our culture, we're told to kind of shy away from these statements because they're broad, sweeping statements. In our relationships, we're told to shy away from them. Oftentimes, I'll and I used it yesterday. I took the, the girls' yard sailing yesterday, and uh, we were getting ready to leave, and they, they were hungry, and they were whining, and I said, man, why are you always whining? Well, they don't always whine. Oh, wh- why do you complain all the time? And you, you've said it. You said it to each other. We're, we're supposed to kind of shy away from those broad, sweeping statements. But these statements here, 
there are statements that can lead us as believers and as a church to be very cliche in our Christianity. We look at them and we read them without actually getting a proper perspective on it. So let's, let's process it together. Let's look at these three imperatives together. The first one, rejoice always. You know, at first glance, if we put this into practice, if we rejoice all the time, we're going to look kind of crazy, right? If you're on the side of the road and your car is broken down and you're doing, yeah, man, that was awesome. Just a, my car broke. Now, I can see Celinda doing that, but maybe not the rest of us. Yes, I know. But how many of you remember the song, and this will date a few of us, but uh, the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that song was all about just don't worry about anything in the world. It doesn't matter if your world is crashing down. Just be happy about it. It's more kind of like a, a high happy, I believe, but uh, it's not real life. That's not Christianity. I'll be honest. When I go through a hard time and a hardships, I have emotion, and, and the emotion comes out. You and I have real emotion. Look, this passage is not condemning emotion. It's not condemning emotion, but it's calling for something else. It's calling for joy. So you hopefully understand this. Joy and happiness, they're, they're different. They're, 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 they're not the same. Happiness is a feeling or an emotion based on circumstances or your current state of affairs. So that's what happiness Joy is a confidence and a gladness that is not based on our circumstances, but on who we are in Christ despite our circumstances. And so Paul has been reminding them all throughout the book, look, this is who you are. This, these are the reasons you have to rejoice. I'm going to look at a few just real quickly. In chapter 1, he tells them, look, this is who you are. You are beloved and you are loved of God. You become imitators of me, and that's Paul speaking, and also of Christ. And you are an example to those around you. That's who you are. Chapter 2, he says, look, you are witnesses of the power of God. And you have received the word of God. Chapter 3, he tells them, look, you've stood strong in your faith and in your hope. And in chapter 4, he says, you are called to sanctification and that they love God. He's reminding them of who they are, that they have every reason in the world to rejoice. And of course, we understand. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, but it also is written to us. We can take some things from this. As he's telling them, look, this is who you are, he's telling us, look, this is who you are. You are indeed loved by God. You have indeed in your life witnessed the power of God all around you. And if you are here this morning, you've put your faith and trust in, in Christ, you have felt the saving power of God. And so that is who they are. That is who we are. And so we are able to rejoice. And of course, you understand that the word joy comes from this root word, rejoice. And Paul uses it four times in this book. In chapter 2, he says they had the joy of the Holy Spirit and they had the joy of hope. In chapter 3, he says, they bring him joy. See, joy to an unbelieving world is an anomaly. It's something that they can't quite get. They can't quite understand because whatever joy a non-believer has or think they have is based solely on what they can experience. And that joy fades away. That happiness, it's really happiness, it fades away. It's not continuous. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. See, each of these three imperatives that we see, these commands, they're in the present tense, which denotes a continuous action. That means that our joy cannot be based on our current circumstances. See, if that were the case, if our joy was just based on what we have around us at the current moment, then our joy would never be full. 
And isn't that what Jesus said that he came to do? He came so that our joy may be made full. Look, I, I submit to you today that the only way to have everlasting joy is to have everlasting life. The only way, did you get that? The only way to have everlasting joy is to have everlasting life. That's the life that you and I are promised in the Bible. It's a life that we believe in. And by the way, it's a life that began when you said yes to Christ. And so that joy that we're called to have, the rejoicing, that joy that we're called to do is based on eternity. It's based on the promises that we have in God's word. It's based on the hope that we have. Remember, he reminds him, you have this steadfast hope, that hope that Jesus is going to come back and you are waiting for him. That's why they were able to be bold. That's why they were able to have hope and stand up underneath the pressure of life. It's because of the joy that Jesus brings and it's through salvation. You understand that it rings true for each one of us as believers. You, you and I have that same boldness, that same hope, that same joy, and nobody can touch it. It's that joy that enables us to maneuver the storms of life. And it's not a mindless, crazy happiness as the world falls around us, but what it is, it's a proper perspective. Seeing things the way God sees them, and what that does is that brings us an everlasting joy, and it's based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we see we can rejoice. Why? Because we have something to rejoice about. So we see that's possible. Okay, we, we got rejoiced out of the way. That, that, that's possible. What about pray without ceasing? It's kind of another, another broad statement. Prayer is one of those things that I believe is the most mysterious part of our belief, the most mysterious part of our faith. We fully believe in it. We do. But sometimes we don't quite get how it works. Kind of like when I get on an airplane. I fully believe that we're going to take off and land, and I don't understand air travel. It doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes we don't quite get prayer, but we know God wants us to do it. We know that God desires to hear from us, but sometimes we're not sure it makes a difference. Prayer is a hot-button topic in today's society. We know that it's been taken out of schools. We know that, they, that unbelievers are trying to take it out of society, basically, but we found a way to keep it in. You know, it's still in some public forums. I've seen it and heard it at graduations, and we see it at sporting events. It's still around. But it's interesting. The one thing that we hold so dear, right, we're fighting for it to stay in school. We're fighting to stay in government. The one thing that we hold so dear, ironically, is the same thing we struggle with the most. And I believe Paul knew that. I believe Paul understood the struggle that prayer was, that the faith that prayer took. And yet, even though Paul understood that struggle, he says, pray without ceasing. Now let me ask you, how does that work? How can you pray without ceasing? Because if prayer is as we teach our young children, right? Bowing your head, closing your eyes, and folding your hands, we are all in serious trouble. If that is what we're supposed to do, right? Now, there's no mandate about closing your eyes. There's no mandate about closing your eyes when you pray, but you've probably done it, right? You're, you're praying, and you, and you lift your eyes up, and then you make eye contact with somebody, like, oh, <laughs> Okay, it's weird if you have your eyes open. I get that. But it's not, it's not a mandate from Scripture. And it's something that we do. Why? So that we can fix our thoughts and our concentration completely on God. One author says, prayer is it's not the moving of the lips, but it's the elevation of the heart. And prayer is that the heart prays when the lips are silent. Look, we're all smart enough to understand 
look, we don't have to close our eyes when we pray. There'd be a lot more accidents. We don't have to actually speak out loud if we're going to pray. People would look at us like we're crazy in the supermarket. Look, we, we're, we, we know that. So what does he mean? How can we pray without stopping? Now, I'll be honest. As a pastor's kid, I had to go to prayer meetings uh, all, all my life. And I would swear that, it, that there's somebody there that night that always was trying to put that to the test. Pray without ceasing. Because the guy would go on forever and ever and ever. And you're like, wow, we, he had prayer without ceasing. He's going for it. He's going to get it, man. And, you know, flowers it up with amens and hallelujahs and all these words that as a kid I didn't even understand. And look, it's not about flowering it up. It's not about trying to pray for 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever minutes. Look. Scripture actually condemns against trying to flower up your, your speech for somebody else. It's not meant for somebody else. It's meant for God. But here's what I believe it is. I believe it is about your frame of mind and your way of life. The word that is used for without ceasing, it's actually a single word. It's used five times in the New Testament and four times in this very book. So let's look just real quickly at how Paul uses this word in the book. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3, he says... I'm constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. And the verse continues. First Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, For this reason, we also constantly thank God for you. So chapter 1, he's talking about their hope, the eternal hope that they have. It's constant. But don't tell me at some point they didn't have some doubts. Maybe they had a real bad day and they were wondering, I, I, don't, I don't know if I... I but they, it was always there. Then he uses it in reference to him being thankful for the Thessalonians, the, the church that he is talking to. Now, I have a hard time believing that Paul, every time he went and said hi to somebody, he said, hi, my name is Paul, the, third, the, the Thessalonian church, I love them, I love them, good to see you. Uh, you know, hi, my name is Paul, First Thessalonian church, I love them. God, I'm going to pray for the First Thessalonians. Look, he didn't mention them every single time he opened his mouth. But what he did is every time they came to his mind, he was thankful. When he prayed to God and God brought the Thessalonian church to his mind, he was thankful every single time. And then, of course, Paul uses it again in this verse, verse 17. And what the English doesn't show you is the word is actually used twice. It's like saying, stop, stop. Right? I mean, he, he uses it for emphasis. Keep praying, keep praying. He says it twice. You don't see that in English. It's in the, in, in the Greek. Look, he says it's important. Prayer is important. It's not just a prayer that starts with, dear God, and ends with amen. It's a prayer that is continuous. But oftentimes, you and I, we don't put the proper perspective and the proper emphasis on prayer. Prayer becomes what we need when we've exhausted all opportunities. And prayer becomes an afterthought. But I want to submit to you today that it needs to be our continual thought. Morris, in his commentary, says this, It is not possible for us to spend all of our time with the words of prayer on our lips. But it is possible for us to be all our days in the spirit of prayer, realizing our dependence on God for all we have and all we are, being conscious of his presence without us, wherever we, with us, wherever we may be, excuse me, and yielding ourselves continually to, to him to do this. Such an inward state will, of course, find its expression from time to time in verbal prayer. You know, this idea of continual prayer, uh, the, 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 the best sermon I ever heard on this uh, was preached by my dad. It was from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And this is the verse. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. And so you, you still have to wrestle with that idea. You can't really talk about pray without ceasing without talking about Ephesians 6, 18. And he broke it down very simply. And what he did is he connected the word all and prayer together so that it was connected. It was a lifestyle, the, the lifestyle of all prayer. 
To give you an example, when you go on a trip, some of you maybe say a prayer, and it starts with dear God and ends with amen. But when you go on a trip, you want God's blessing and you want God's protection on the whole thing. So you want to go on that trip with all prayer. You, you have a, a, a job um, uh, interview. You go into that and you don't just say, okay, God, help me now and then not later. And it's over when you say amen. No, you, you go into that interview with all prayer. When you come to church and you worship and you lift up your hands and you communicate with God. Look, it doesn't have to start with dear God and end with amen. It's something that is all prayer. It is a frame of mind and a lifestyle. It's a frame of mind that says, God, you are in control and I trust you with my whole heart. It's not only a frame of mind, but it's a lifestyle that lives with the recognition and trust that God is in control every single day. One commentator says this, the fact that Paul commands us to pray in this manner reveals two significant truths about God. First, God wants to hear from you. He says, let that soak in for a moment. God wants to hear from you. The God of the universe wants to hear from you. On the basis of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been granted an all-access ticket into his presence. Amazing. Second, if God expects that you will ask him for things, then it follows that he has the ability to give you what you ask for. In fact, he has the ability to give you more than you ask for. Think about your most pressing needs, your most formidable opponents, or even your most out-of-reach dreams. If God desires that you bring those matters before him, then you can be sure that he has more than enough ability to do something about them. Because our God is amazing. Our God is powerful, and he is in control. And our great, powerful God, our sovereign God, he wants to hear from you. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Our great and awesome and sovereign, powerful God wants to hear from you. We communicate to him, and he hears us. We communicate, and he answers us. Look, we don't fully understand it. There's a mystery to it, and oftentimes that mystery causes us to just kind of shy away from prayer and not put it into practice. But God has made it clear. I want to hear from you, and I want you to communicate with me. So the challenge is to live a life of all prayer. Live a life that is praying without ceasing so that prayer is always on our mind and it's not just all on our mind, it has become a mindset. Again, it doesn't just start and end with dear God and amen. It's a continual thing, just like the joy that we have and like the thankfulness we need. Thankfulness is next. I mean, again, these seem pretty elementary, but the broad sweeping statements of all times and everything make it really hard. Thank you is something that we like to hear. Thank you is something that you and I are taught from a very young age. It's one of the, actually one of the very first things you are taught as a kid is to th say thank you. And I don't know about you, uh, some of you that have younger kids right now, if you're teaching your kids sign language before they can actually talk, we did that, and uh, I didn't think it would work, but it, it was incredible. I mean, Alyssa and, and Lily both did the sign language, and when they wanted food, they would say, I want, I want more I want more, please, and then they say thank you. Uh, now, our girls understood that they weren't getting anything until that happened, so it's kind of like a baseball sign. Just give me the food. Just whatever I got to do, give me the food. But, you know, they're saying, okay, thank you, thank you. And so before they could even talk, they understood, I, I, I got to give a thank you. We, we appreciate the thank you because we want others to be thankful. And, and we expect them to be thankful. And it makes us feel good when we get a thank you. We've become so accustomed to the thank you that when we don't get it, we get really set off. We do. 
How about when you sit in traffic and you are in your lane, you're, you're doing the right thing, and someone comes along the right, right side and he knows he's got to get over. I mean, come on, he knows he's got to get over. He's not an out-of-town guy. He comes and he's got his blinker on. And you're thinking, what in the world is this guy doing? Nobody's going to let him in. I ain't going to let him in. I mean, depending on your day, you may or may not let him in, right? <laughs> not that I've ever done that before. And let's just, all, let's just all say this. Let's just all admit we've also been that guy in the right-hand lane. We've all done it, right? Okay. So anyway, he comes up the right-hand lane, and he's got his blinker on. And you're thinking, okay, I've had a good day. I'm willing to let him in. I'm going to let him in. All right, so, so you back off the bumper that you were, like, pasted to. And you, you, you give him some room, and he's able to come over. And you think it's yourself. Look what I've done. <laughs> Man, I'm good. I'm like a good Samaritan. I mean, look, come on, people. You think you're going to get home any later because you let that one guy in. And you know yesterday you did the same exact thing. Right? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, wow, look at what I've done. And what you want next is what? You want the thank you wave. Because if you don't get the thank you wave, it was all for nothing. It wasn't to help them out. It was to make you feel better. I mean, that's what the thank you wave is for. And the thank you wave says, I appreciate you. Okay? The thank you wave says, okay, you let me in. Without you, I would be sitting here with my blinker on for the next five minutes. You, yes, thank you. You let me in. But if you don't get that, you go, what in the world? Would it kill you to put up a hand? I mean, come on. It happens to me every day. And you're thinking to yourself, come on, just, just give me a thank you. And then you think, not another soul is getting in front of me. And you are, you are back pasted to that back bumper. You don't care if you tap them or not because you want the thank you. I mean, we see it in our parking lots. If there is not a crosswalk, you know, you have the decision. You have the choice if you want to let someone walk. And so if they're not on a crosswalk, and again, you've had a good day, and you stop, and... But what do you want in return? You want either the thank you wave or the... <laughs> that you want the thank you nod. And if you don't get it, you give that person... It wouldn't kill you, would it? I mean, we want a thank you. We, we want others to be thankful, right? Other people should be thankful. And, it's got, and we want them to be thankful because... It makes us feel good. But I think we all struggle with thankfulness from time to time. We expect it from others, but then I found myself, you know, being let in and not giving the wave back. Oh, I forgot, I forgot, right? We, we sometimes are not thankful. We struggle with it. Look, the text says to be thankful all the time. What about when we've just lost our job? What about if, if we end up losing our house. What if we, our marriage ends up falling apart? Are we to be like, oh, thank you, my house just left, my house is burning down, my, my marriage is failing, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, it's crazy talk. In fact, my oldest daughter has started saying, Daddy, that's just cray-cray. I don't know where she got it, probably Celinda again. But that's not how it works. That, that, that is, that's not what is expected. Look, there doesn't seem to be any way around this everything. Again, it's present, active, imperative, which means you've got to be thankful always. And by the way, here's what everything means. Each, every, any, all, whole, everything, collectively. Try sidestepping that one. It doesn't work. It's all-inclusive, but we need to look at the text. Don't just assume of what the text is talking about. If we look closer, we find out that we are supposed to be thankful in everything, 
not necessarily for everything. There's a big, big difference. See, we, we don't really have a problem being thankful for the most part. We're pretty thankful people. What we struggle with is the consistency in that thankfulness. See, just like with joy, our thankfulness seems to be connected with our current circumstances, and we let that dictate the level or the degree of our thankfulness. Look, you may not have the ability to be thankful for everything, but you certainly have the ability to be thankful in everything. And you say, okay, how? Why? Why should I be so thankful? And I'm glad you asked, because we're going to talk about it. You can be thankful. Why? Because you serve a faithful God. When you are not faithful, our God is faithful. Always. You serve a God that gives you mercy, that holds back the things that we probably deserve. We can be thankful for that. We have a God that is gracious to us. He gives us the things that we don't deserve. He loves us. He sacrificed for us. We can be thankful for the forgiveness that we have for the eternal life that we receive when we say yes to Christ. We can be thankful that the only way we have that is because He has defeated sin and He has defeated death. We can be thankful for the Word of God that you and I get to dive into every single day for direction. We can be thankful for each other, our, the people around us, His church. We can be thankful for the air that we breathe, the provisions in our life that you and I take for granted every single day because we get caught up in the here and now and, and we end up complaining. But what we know is we have so much to be thankful for. We live in a country where we have freedom. We live as Christians with purpose. We have a relationship with the Creator. And we have prayer. We have that avenue of communication. We have the ability to honor Him and to serve Him and to live for Him. We have so much to be thankful for. But my question is this. Are we really thankful? The hard part is not saying thank you. The hard part is to be honest about it and really mean it. Do we really believe what we say? Do we really believe that we have so much to be thankful despite our circumstances? Do we really believe? And if we do, isn't it supposed to come out in our actions every single day? If we don't, and what that's called is called lip service. Lip service is what drives people crazy. You don't believe it? doesn't show up in your everyday life. I wonder if we really mean what we say or do we just throw around these sentences, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks. Do, do we just throw those around as phrases and cliches? Sometimes we th throw those around just to sound spiritual, right? Maybe there are people in our lives that know we're Christians and so they, they expect to hear that from us. Or, or maybe, and more disturbingly, we say these statements to try to talk ourselves into believing what we're saying. I know it's challenging. This passage, three simple verses, is challenging, but it is also encouraging. I hope that you feel the encouragement of these verses because you and I, we have so much to be thankful for. I hope you're encouraged because we serve a God that wants to hear from us. Not only does He want to hear from us, He wants to answer us, and He will. And we can rejoice because we truly have something to rejoice about, and that is Jesus Christ. I hope you're encouraged by that. And I hope you're encouraged by the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians and also to us saying this is what you need to do. But it's not just from the Apostle Paul. We can be encouraged because we know that this is God's will for you and me. This is God's will. These three universal imperatives that he gives to this church, that is what God's will is for them. And it's what God's will is for you. And I know what it is. Like, how am I supposed to tell you what, God, what God's will is? 
How do you know what God's will is in my, in, in my life? Look, I believe God's will becomes painfully misunderstood often. I, I believe we look at God's will as uh, a silver bullet that can only land in one specific place, and God only has one specific thing for me to do, but Scripture does not support that. See, God's will is His desire and His purpose for you. This word will, Jesus used when he was in the garden. Look, not my will, but your will be done. Not my desire, God, but your desire. Chapter 4 in this, in this book, Paul says, look, God's will for you is for you to be sanctified, to stay away from sexual immorality. Look, is that the only thing that God wants for you? No, but it is certainly part of it. One author says this, For this is God's will, almost certainly refers to all three injections, and I agree with them, even though the word this is singular. They form a unity that belongs together. The word will has no article, and so that it, it cannot be the totality of the divine will that is in mind, which basically means that rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, those aren't, that doesn't exhaust God's will for your life, but they are a major part of it. That's not all God wanted from the Thessalonian church. It's not all that God wants from you. But they are major, major parts in our life, and they're things that you and I need. It's vital. And what they need to be, these outward actions, they need to be a reflection of an inward attitude. These three things, these outward actions that people can see, they should be a reflection of the inward attitude. Look, all of this, as we come to a close today, all of this is talking about perspective. We, we need to be looking at this with the right perspective. It, I, I believe that these verses aren't necessarily talking so much about our attitude towards our circumstances, but about the big picture, about what God wants from us. You remember the pictures at the beginning. We, when we looked at those up close, some of you got them right away, but for a little bit, we're like, oh, okay, what, what is that? It takes us a little bit. But when we are able to take a step back, we're able to look at that and realize exactly what it is, what it means, what the purpose is, and we get to see it in a different light. We are able to recognize exactly what it's saying. Look, I understand it's concerning when you see the words always, without ceasing, and everything. Look, but when we have a better understanding of it, we get a better perspective on it. And when we have a better perspective on it, we are able to recognize that these three things, they're not impossible. In fact, they're not just not impossible, they are possible and they are something that is expected of us. And so we see these universal things, we can do this, not in and of ourselves, of course. We can do this through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Because left to ourselves, what do we do? We, we look at our current circumstances, we, we look at how things are going, and maybe it's a bad day, or maybe it's a good day, whatever it is, we, and we, we, we put too much emphasis on the here and now, when our emphasis should be on Christ and eternity. Look, when I think about perspective, I can't help but think about the cross of Jesus Christ. If you were just to look at the cross of Jesus Christ without looking at anything else, if you got real close to that scripture and you took away the rest of the Bible and you just looked at that, the perspective would be, wow, what a terrible thing. What a terrible thing that happened. And yes, it was. The pain that he went through on the cross, the agony and the humiliation, when we look at that just for what it is without looking at anything else in life. But when we step back and we see the perspective that God has on it, we understand that that was necessary for you and for me to have eternal life. We can get a better perspective, and that is the reason. The cross, what Jesus did defeating sin and death, that is the reason that you and I 
can rejoice and pray and give thanks because perspective is everything. Perspective is the key to recognition. I want to challenge you as we close today that you put these things into practice, that you rejoice in who you are in Christ. You, you realize these three things, they're how we interact with God. They're what we give back to God. We rejoice in Him because of what He has done and who you are. And, and, and my prayer is that you walk out of these doors and you walk out into, into uh, the, the world with all prayer, praying at all times, always being aware of who God is and, and, and our dependence on Him. It's a continual state of lifestyle and that we recognize that we have so much to be thankful for. Not necessarily just for the situation, because that's hard to do and sometimes impossible. We can be thankful in it. These three things, they seem easy, they seem impossible. But we know with our God, all things are possible. So my prayer for you is that we can take these three simple elementary verses and put them into practice into our lives in a way that is never done before. And we can walk out differently into a world that needs to see these things modeled for real and not just lip service. Let's pray. Our God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the challenge that it brings. But Lord, what an encouraging passage it is today to recognize we have so much to rejoice in. And it's, it's in you. It's in who we are. That's our identity. We are Christians. We are Christ followers. And so we follow you and we rejoice in you. Lord, help us to constantly keep you in mind as we go throughout our day with all prayer, Lord. And as we go through each and every situation, while we may not be able to be thankful for it, Lord, we know that we can always be thankful in it. And it's all based on who you are. Lord, help us during the hard times in life to be able to take a step back, to get the proper perspective on life, and that's your perspective. And when we do that, Lord, help us to recognize exactly who you are and what you desire from us. I pray that for each person in this room today. I pray that as we go out of this room that we can be different than when we came in today and that you will help us to be able to put it into practice, practically apply it in our lives. And so we ask all of this in your name.